At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family... Look for delicious Kroger brand products because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. This is the Los Angeles CityCast with Danielle Alvari, presented by Bet Rivers. Welcome in to the Los Angeles CityCast presented by Bet Rivers Sportsbook, our fun Friday edition with not one, but two amazing guests. So yes, we are going to get to talk about the Angels and the Dodgers with Adam Burke from VSIN. And also, we're going to have to ask him about UCLA and USC football as well because... The VSIN College Football Guide is officially out. We have less than 30 days until college football season is upon us. And the only way to get the college football guide, by the way, is to be a VSIN subscriber. So check out vsin.com for that. It's over 300 pages of VSIN analysis for this college football season. Obviously, all the information you're going to need for all of your betting needs. So definitely check that out. And we're going to have to ask Adam Burke all about UCLA, USC, get his thoughts. And then, of course, WNBA. I'm so sad the season is coming to a close so quickly. We're going to see playoffs starting on August 17th. So we're going to have Miles Ehrlich on to preview the WNBA action going on on Friday and Saturday this week. Something to look forward to as well is I will be doing a special Sunday pod next week. So no Monday pod next week. We'll go Sunday, Wednesday, Friday because we have a great slate, five games in the WNBA, and we're going to have a special guest on to preview those as well. So something to look ahead for. But today we have Adam Burke. We have Miles Ehrlich. It's going to be a great time. Before we get into that, let's take a look at the local Los Angeles odds. So for the Dodgers on Friday at the Rockies, the Dodgers minus 225, the Rockies plus one. 90 on the money line the Dodgers run line minus one and a half at minus 157 and the Rockies plus one and a half runs at plus 125 the total for this one 11 and a half it is at the Rockies stadium I guess
guess that makes sense. And we have been seeing some pretty high-scoring Dodgers games. As for the Angels, later evening game for them. The Texas Rangers is the team they'll be hosting. And on the money line, the Rangers are plus 100. At home, the Angels minus 115. Intriguing. It is intriguing. The Rangers minus one and a half runs is plus 170. And the Angels plus one and a half runs is minus 215 on Bet Rivers. Total sitting at seven and a half for this one. So not inspiring a lot of confidence for a high scoring game necessarily. As for UCLA and USC, we look at the Pac-12 conference odds you can find at Bet Rivers. USC is plus 200. UCLA is 10 to 1. I still think that's the best value out of the top four teams. You have Utah plus 240 and Oregon at plus 250. That's what you're working with in the Pac-12. And remember, BetRivers Online Sportsbook invites you to add some variety to your baseball bets with new same-game parlays. Every game this season, you can combine game bets and player props to create your perfect BetRivers combo. Whether you're looking to increase your payouts on favorites like the Dodgers or make your own long shot, you can add a little extra spice to your game with the same-game parlays at BetRivers Online Sportsbook. Download the BetRivers Sportsbook app and make your baseball same-game parlay today. At this time, let's welcome in Adam Burke, a sports betting analyst over at VEASAN, does a great job with MLB all season long. But of course, we're bringing you on to talk about some college football today, and you can find him on Twitter at Skating Tripods. Adam, how are you doing? Doing well. I think it's a good time to talk college football. We just released the college football betting guide over at VEASAN.com, and while I didn't cover the Pac-12, I did do the Big 12, SEC, Conference USA, and Sunbelt. We've got previews for all 131 teams, so... Look, I think I you know we're recording this on Thursday. I think they said it's 30 days until the first college football game. 29? So here less than 30? Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. I mean, I think it is 30, but if we go by the hours, it's less than 30. Uh, so when you're listening to this, it will definitely be less than 30. And to your point, it's so nice that the VEASAN College Football Guide is live. You can get it at VEASAN.com, so definitely check that out. Some notes stood out to me, of course. You great contributor to this. Steve McAdam does a great job with this, obviously, as well. So I wanted to ask you about some of these things that were standing out to me as it pertains to the two LA schools. So UCLA and USC, of course, being what we're talking about. And the returners. I thought this was an interesting part. So total number of starters returning has proven to be a great predicting factor on how a team will perform. 141 teams in the last nine seasons returned 10 or fewer starters and only had 27 of those teams improve their winning percentage. So 27 of the 141 with 10 or fewer starters. That's interesting because UCLA has eight returning starters and USC has 10. Both of them have more on the offensive side, only two returning defensive starters for UCLA, which is really tough, especially because they lost a bunch of them during spring practice. It felt like they all said they're transferring. Uh, and then USC, of course, only three defensive returners as well. Interestingly enough, Steve also only had UCLA and USC separated by one point in his power ratings. Where are you at between these two schools? Yeah, that's more or less what I have in terms of my power ratings as well. When these two teams play later on in the year, my line is UCLA plus a half a point against USC. So, And you're getting I mean, more than that right now, right? I think yeah, it's at I, five or something. I think so. And look, I mean, I think that USC is just generally going to be overvalued getting a guy like Lincoln Riley, getting Caleb Williams in there. I think UCLA is a pretty good team. I mean, their season win total I have projected around eight and a half. I know it's eight out there at Bet Rivers. So I think mm -hmm. that they're a team that could overperform a little bit here this season. I do like the offense. You know, DTR was not healthy last year. He should be healthier this season. Zach Sharpen mm -hmm. is a really, really good running back for them. The question is the defense. As you said, only two returning starters with that unit. They were good but not great last year. So, you know, that's always something that I look at. I don't necessarily look at returning starters. I kind of look mm -hmm. more at returning production and sort of yeah. the quality of the players that were there the previous year. And 
you know, look, maybe it's a good thing for them, you know, because they only have the two returning starters when they're getting a new defensive coordinator in Bill McGovern, who's been coaching in the NFL ranks for almost a decade. So that's a guy that, you know, he comes in now with a blank slate. Maybe that's a better thing than having eight mm-hmm. or nine returning starters that were, you know, fixtures in the previous scheme. So we'll have to see how it all plays out for UCLA. But I think one thing that's really important to point out before we go a little bit more in depth with the Trojans is mm-hmm. that they took away divisions this year in the Pac-12. So there's no yes. North and South. It's just the top two teams by record, conference win percentage, however you want to word it. Those will be the two teams that play in the conference championship game. So that opens up a lot of possibilities because I do think that the South is still a little bit stronger than the North. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Obviously, we have USC, UCLA, and Utah, the teams in the four, the three of the four teams that are in the top of the odds board, the other one from the North being Oregon, of course. So USC, UCLA, and Utah, that's going to be highly contested, and it makes sense to remove the divisions at that point. So when we talk about USC, I know we've already talked about the hype, of course, and you don't want to say that USC is not going to be good. We know what they brought in here in Caleb Williams and Lincoln Riley, but we are just saying that it seems like it's a lot to live up to for a new coach here. We know that new coaching takes a little bit to kick in, even though they bring in this star quarterback, if you will, we'll call him a star here. And he has a bunch of these really great offensive weapons, especially the wide receiver core. But the defense, I think, for both UCLA and USC may be an issue. And the team that defense stands out to me would be Utah. So for me, for the Pac-12, I think it's Utah that's going to be at the top. Yeah, I think so, too. I'll go ahead and pull up my number here because I have Utah, I mean, far and away the best team in the conference here. Taking a look, Mm -hmm. uh, 10.44 wins is what I have them down for. Wow. So they're a team that I have pretty much favored in almost every game, I think. Maybe there's one spot where they're an underdog, something like that. They got a tough week one game going to uh, Florida where they have to go play in the heat and humidity down in Gainesville. But I think Utah is clearly the class of the Pac-12 conference here for this season. What will be interesting is if USC is that second team. And look, I mean, they've got you know the, the Caleb Williams and Lincoln Riley tandem that you know Williams knows the playbook. That's very important. Wide receiver Mario Williams comes in. He was the number two wide receiver in his class. He committed to Oklahoma. Now he goes to USC. And they have enough guys to replace Drake London, who was kind of everything for this Trojans offense last year. So I think the offense will be good. Travis Dye comes in from Oregon. He averaged six yards per carry. They'll be an explosive offense, but what will they do defensively? They gave up 32 points per game last year, almost six and a half yards per play. Uh, This is a defense led by Alex Grinch, who knows the Pac-12, was a defensive coordinator at Washington State before he wound up moving to some bigger jobs. But I don't know how quickly the defensive side of the ball comes together. My projections for 8.49 wins for USC, I think I saw Bet Rivers at nine and a half. So I'm a Mm -hmm. little bit below market on them. Uh, But with that being said, I mean, this could be a team that improves very quickly early on in the year because Riley is a good head coach. I just think they're pretty clear dog to me in that game against Utah. And like I said, I think that game against UCLA is is pretty much a toss up between those two teams. As a rivalry game should be. And that's why when I talked about this, I believe on VEASAN hosting my guys last week, I think I talked with a guest about where I stood with that UCLA-USC game. I said, give me the side that's getting points. 
in that game. That's just how that ends up shaking out for me. So if you're getting five with UCLA, which I'm not sure if that number is still sticking there, but that would be so worth a worth a bet for me now because we know things are going to shift as the season starts to go. And UCLA really should be able to start their season off on almost a 4-0 start. So you, that might see that odd shift as well. So something to consider before the season starts. You were talking about uh, the Utah versus USC game. That's on October 15th. I know that was on the list of 10 games you need to see in the college football guide. So definitely check that out as well. And to your point about the winter, total USC sitting at nine and a half and they've won 10 games twice in the past eight years new coach new quarterback new toys all over the offense and somehow are 30 to one even as short as 25 to one to win the college football playoff this is crazy I, this has to be under nine and a half for me but it's interesting because I think in the guide they like they like the over here yeah, I mean, like I said, personally, I have this a little bit lower than market because mm -hmm. I think what a lot of people aren't really realizing with this Oklahoma team is that, you know, while Lincoln Riley has done very well in the transfer portal, certainly bringing over a couple of guys from Oklahoma, including mm -hmm. his own quarterback, this program has underwhelmed from a recruiting standpoint for a while now. You know, they yeah. have not recruited well in the trenches. They've not recruited well on the defensive side of the ball. And that's going to force this offense to be really good really quickly. And Lincoln Riley at least has the quarterback, but you know there are a lot of RPO elements to this offense, the offensive line, so we have to figure out a very different kind of scheme. The wide receivers, with the exception of Williams, who was in that Sooners uh, playbook, you know they're mm -hmm. going to have to figure out some different things as well. And I think this defense will be hurt by just being out there on the field more, you know, because Oklahoma is kind of a quick strike type of offense with Lincoln Riley. I would expect the same thing here, where this defense could get kind of worn down in the second halves of games. So for me, you know, I don't really have a position on the season win total despite being lower than the market, but I mm -hmm. think USC will play a lot of high scoring games this year. I agree with that completely. I think they're definitely a team to look at overs, maybe not against Utah so much that that game that you must see this season, but I'm even I'm talking and it's so tough because of course people are going to point to you're a UCLA alum but I, I think I would look under I think I might take this under nine and a half win totals on USC that's a fun one for me to cheer for as a UCLA fan of course uh, but UCLA's is a lot tougher and to your point Bet Rivers does have that eight available and if you want to look at an over I think that that's a good spot because you might just get a push there. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you've got a little bit of protection there with eight and four, which is very much a possibility for this team. As I said, I've got them probably mm -hmm. in that eight and a half win range. So, you know, maybe that swing game is the USC game. You know, that one that looks like pretty much a toss up. Maybe that's the difference between nine and three, eight and four. And, you know, like if DTR gets hurt again or Charbonnet goes out, yeah. you know, seven and five is definitely a possibility. But that's the risk that you take with any, you know, full season future or prop. Yeah. And to your point, I mean, at least they have Ethan Garbers as a backup now, and it seems like Chip Kelly has a lot of faith in him. But DTR returning, I think, is a good thing. I know that turnovers have been an issue for him in the past, but we love what he can do on his feet. And even with his arm, he proved that he can do more than just run the ball last season. Uh, and unfortunately, comes back to what we said about both these teams, the defense, right? So if UCLA's defense is a problem again, particularly the passing defense, right? We know that the rushing defense is actually one of the best in the league, I think only behind Utah last season. So that hopefully continues, even though they're not returning a ton of defensive starters. But you have to figure out that that passing game, especially against teams like USC, who are going to love to light that up. So it's going to be really interesting to see how it shakes out. Any final thoughts on the Pac-12 or UCLA-USC before we move on to some baseball? Look, I mean, I think there are a lot of interesting teams in the conference that are kind of building up a little bit. I think the job Jonathan Smith is doing at Oregon State is very, very impressive. 
Um, mm-hmm. You know, Oregon with a new head coach at Dan Lanning. I think there are a lot of questions about what the Ducks end up doing. Washington's trying to return back to prominence, but you know that's something that seems like it could take a little while. Washington State has a lot of questions going to, with Jake Dickert as the head coach, where they're not going to run as much of the air raid. It's going to be a little bit of a different offensive scheme for them. I think Arizona State is a complete dumpster fire. That's a team I think will bottom out. I think if you're looking for a season win total in the Pac-12, I think under for Arizona State is the one that I would look at because you know Jaden Daniels transferred out. Um, you know I think Herm Edwards does not have a firm grasp of this program. I think he'll be on the hot seat throughout the course of the season, and mm-hmm. it could even be a situation where you know, they lose that game to Arizona, where the Wildcats have had a lot of problems the last several years, but. They're recruiting at a higher level. They seem to have a little bit better of a culture within their program. So I think there are a lot of moving parts with some of the teams in the middle and the bottom tiers for this conference, not to mention that three-horse race and and what we used to consider the South Division. Yeah, absolutely. I love that Arizona State under six and a half wins. I think that number's a touch too high for them, If and that's being generous and saying so. Uh, Before we move on to the Colorado Buffaloes, this has been a very popular team to bet on the total as well. I think it's the... Un, or the overs we've been looking at here, their their total is sitting at three. But I know that the Colorado Buffalo have been drawing a lot of attention as well. Yeah, it looks like it's going to be a pretty tough year for the Buffaloes. I mean, you know, they're yeah. a team that just when when Mel Tucker left them and went to Michigan State, and he's done a phenomenal job at Michigan State, far better job than anybody expected. You know, it was it was kind of an interesting hire going with Carl Durrell. That mm. you know, I think he was wide receivers coach or something like that at Vanderbilt. You know, it was a very interesting hire to say the least, but. You know, he had that team overperform a little bit in that COVID-shortened season. And then last year, we saw their lack of depth really come to the forefront. So that's a team I don't really have high hopes for. But again, mm-hmm. you know, there are some teams in this conference that are going through a significant amount of transition or just aren't very good. And if the Buffaloes can play with some continuity, then they could end up surprising. Yeah, I agree with you, and and I'm glad you mentioned Oregon, too, with 14 returning starters, seven on each side of the ball. I do think that their win total seems appropriate here at eight and a half, but the other thing you have to remember with Oregon is they do have one of the tougher in terms of strength of schedule, so I do think that's pretty appropriate. Oregon State, I'm glad you highlighted that. Uh, Pamela Maldonado was the one who pointed that one out to me not but a week ago and said she thinks they're going to be surprisingly, maybe exceed expectations this coming season. So lots to look forward to in the Pac-12, while it remains at least until we see that transition for UCLA and USC out of the Pac-12. Let's transition ourselves over to baseball. So the Dodgers back in action against the Rockies, which this season has not historically gone super well for them. The first time they faced them way early at the start of the season, they went one and two. They saw them again for a three-game stretch, one and two. But most recently, they did sweep them, three and oh. So what do you think we'll see in this next matchup? Well, it's certainly been a good start to the second half for the Dodgers, where, you know, I I came on this show last week and thought that maybe they'd be a little bit sluggish. You know, talked about maybe they kind of get into the second half a little bit slow. That has not been the case at all. In fact, you know, they had that big sweep over the Giants and, you know, that kind of set the Giants reeling as they continue to struggle here. Uh, But, you know, this Dodgers team is, they're rounding into form. You know, they don't really need anything at the trade deadline unless they decide that there's something that they want to add. They get Andrew Heaney back uh, the night before last on Wednesday night. And it wasn't great, but the stuff looked decent. The velocity was good. The spin rates were good. It looks like he's healthy at a minimum, which Mm -hmm. is really nice for them because, you know, now you're going to run into a situation with the Dodgers where when you face them in a playoff series, assuming a guy like Dustin May comes back, assuming Walker Bueller comes back, they don't have to ask for six innings out of their starters. They can kind of piggyback some of these guys, group them together. You don't have to expose a Tyler Anderson to the lineup a third time, something like that. They're going to have a tremendous amount of depth 
with guys they can use it for multiple innings. Obviously, we know the offense is really good. Maybe they could use a bench bat or something like that. But, I mean, this team looks stacked. And with the Yankees struggling a little bit, Dodgers are going to wind up taking over the number one overall seed, I think, if they haven't already. I think they actually have by win percentage. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. this team is just in, in great form right now. And they're not going to get challenged because the Padres are struggling. Even if they get Juan Soto, I don't think the Padres can can really make too much of a push. And the Giants all of a sudden look like sellers at the trade deadline. Yeah, weirdly enough, not what I would have been expecting, honestly, from this Giants team that put up 107 wins last season. To your point about Tyler Anderson, 10-1 and win-loss record for him so far, 2.79 ERA and 1.02 whip. Do you think... Now, these series between the Rockies have been a little bit back and forth. Sometimes we see that run line come into play, which is weird because for the Dodgers, usually it's a little bit safer to bet the run line because you actually get a little bit more bang for your buck. Where would you look for this one with Tyler Anderson uh, in the matchup on Friday? Yeah, you know, look, uh, the Rockies have been really good against lefties and specifically really good against Mm. lefties at home. So it's a little bit worrisome. The one thing that helps Tyler Anderson... Excuse me, that's the Thursday game, but... Do you want to start that over then? No, it's all right. We'll just look at Friday. So we have Arias there, but we can predict what we thought happened on Thursday. <laughs> well, I, I can tell you this. I mean, you know, Arias is also a lefty, and you know yeah. he's a guy with more upside than Tyler Anderson, certainly. Mm. But you know, uh, you know, Anderson's having a phenomenal year, and he's a guy that's pitched in Colorado. He was a member of the Rockies, so that always helps. You know, when you have familiarity with pitching in that environment. Uh, but the yeah. one thing about the Rockies, kind of looking forward here, not just with this series, but you know, as they go throughout the rest of the season. They came into the second half having played a lot more home games than road games. And this is a really bad Mm. offense away from home for a variety of different reasons. Coors Field being chief among them. Uh, And also they're a team that's going to start trading away some of their bullpen pieces as well to try and get some more prospects, get some more depth in the organization. That could potentially happen this weekend. So that may be something that works to the Dodgers' benefit if a Daniel Bard gets dealt or maybe they decide to trade an Alex Colomay, something like that. You know, the Dodgers may end up facing a, a pretty watered-down Rockies bullpen. And if not the Dodgers, somebody else that winds up facing Colorado may get that may get that luxury. Yeah, and also the Dodgers' offense seems to have been hitting at a much higher clip as well. We're seeing a 7-1 to win over the Nationals. And then versus the Giants, as you mentioned, 7-4, to 4-2, 5-1, 9-6. So possibly looking at an over here, like you said, the Rockies may be doing better against these lefties. Yeah, they are. I mean, they're very right-handed, heavy lineups, so they generally have mm-hmm. some platoon advantages when they take on a lefty. And look, Urias is a guy that's obviously very good. Um, there have been some starts where he's been a little bit iffy, a little bit questionable. But you know, anytime you get into that thin air environment, you always have to look for the possibility of runs. And and this Dodgers offense has been swinging it pretty well since the All-Star break. They've kind of gotten back on track, back into their stride. The only thing I worry about with them is is the same thing I'd worry about with any other good team. Look at the Houston Astros, for example. You know, they sweep the Mariners while the Mariners came into that series on a 14-game winning streak. And then Houston goes to Oakland and gets swept by the A's. So, mm-hmm. you know, that was the one thing that we kind of talked about with the Dodgers very early on in the season is, are they going to stay engaged when they play these bad teams? And that was an issue for them early on. You know, they lost that series to Colorado that you mentioned. They got swept by the Pirates at home. You know, they had some mm-hmm. games where they just didn't really show up. But it seems like they're kind of trying to bank some wins now and just be able to put this thing in cruise control the rest of the way. Yeah. Well, the Dodgers have enough talent to do that. On the opposite side of L.A., though, the Angels, not necessarily the case, but have won three of their last four, have had three straight unders. What's going on here? 
Well, and Otani, they did play they the had, Royals. And Otani Day on Thursday, so maybe they wind up yes. one, four, or five by the time people see yeah. this show. Uh, look, I mean, I think it's just natural variance, you know. And mm-hmm. and Kansas City is also a team, you know. A lot of guys being moved from them. And Andrew Benintendi got traded right after the game on Wednesday to the Yankees. Oddly enough, even though he's unvaccinated and can't play in Toronto, which was pretty interesting. But you know. The big story with the Angels, obviously, is is the Mike Trout news and, and the fact that, mm-hmm. you know, he'll be dealing with this injury for the rest of his career, however long that ends up being. And mm-hmm. we've seen conflicting reports about the severity and, and the issues that he could have going forward. But, you know, this is a team in the Angels that we, you know, we've talked about this before, a lot of big money contracts, and they haven't really given the complimentary pieces to those big money contracts to surround them with talent. And now mm-hmm. you've got Mike Trout where he's going to miss time every season. It seems like, I yeah. mean, this is going to flare up at some point throughout the course of the year. And we see how this team is with him. Now we can yeah. imagine what this team is like without him and without Shohei Otani, either at this trade deadline, this winter or next year's trade deadline. So the long-term prognosis for this team somehow managed to look even worse over the last couple of days than it did earlier in the week, uh, which is just remarkable. I I feel bad for Angels fans. I feel bad for people that were born into being Angels fans instead of Dodger (laughs) fans. Um, But, you know, it's one of those things where I just – it's sad news for baseball and sad news for Mike Trout, who – I mean, he's he's deserved better throughout his career, and now this uh, hopefully won't be too bad of a thing for him to play through. But, you know, it just – it underscores the the fact that the Angels just – have never put anything around him, and, and now they're going to pay the price for it even more. I was going to say, it's upsetting. It's upsetting to it see is. this caliber talent of a player and then just to have so much of his time wasted. And, of course, Mike Trout being diagnosed with a rare back condition, costal ver- uh, vertebral dysfunction at T5 that, as you mentioned, likely to affect him the rest of his career. The doctor said it's a very rare thing that they see. But Mike Trout, of course, uh, said he appreciates all the prayer requests, but his career is not over. We know that. We know you'll play through this. But you do wonder how this is going to affect him long term. And you know that it's not good news for the Angels. And it's upsetting. Frankly, it's upsetting what the Angels organization has done. Uh, and hopefully, do you think we see Otani leave this team? Sooner rather than later. Well, I mean, they haven't. He's arbitration eligible for next year. Okay. In my mind, I would trade him right now because mm-hmm. the way that I've always analyzed it, and I don't have to worry about ticket sales. I don't have to worry about fan backlash. I'm just looking at somebody who purely looks at the numbers and, and kind of a lot of the black and white. This minor league system is bad. It's very, yeah. very bad. They don't have pitching. They don't really have impact position players. The idea of being able to trade a Shohei Otani to get probably four top 100 prospects from somebody has to be attractive to Perry Manasian in this front office, but you completely submarine next season. You waste another year of Mike Trout if you end up doing that, but for the long-term health and viability of this of this you know roster and this organization, I think they have to do it. I just don't even know if it's on their radar. To, it's unconscionable to if they don't. Right. I mean, like I said, for me, it's just, it's black and white, right? If you can get, you know, you're not going to get the Juan Soto return that we could end up seeing here before the trade deadline, but you're going to get three competent major league pieces and maybe a high upside lottery ticket, something like that. I I don't see a reason not to do it when, I mean, you look at Mike Trout every day and how miserable he looks. They are not (laughs) getting Otani to sign an extension there. It's just not going to happen. So you're losing him in... 
uh, 12 to 18 months no matter what. So why yeah. not maximize the huge year that he's having and, and do something that really helps your organization long term? Yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you. And hopefully Otani just continues to dominate the way he has. Uh, he's still sitting at the top of the AL MVP odds now. Do you think that that's accurate? Uh, I mean, look, like we talked about last week. I just, I don't know how long they let him go as a pitcher this season. Yeah. With that being said, I mean, they they can't have their head in the sand about this. They have to know that they will not sign him to an extension. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I mean, you could, in theory, just let him pitch the rest of the year, use and abuse him next year until you move him, and then it won't be your problem anymore. Oh, jeez. This Angels organization, just always a headache, always a headache and always a headache to bet on as well. But we appreciate all your insights as always, Adam Burke. Follow him on Twitter at Skating Tripods and check out the college football betting guide now available at vcin.com. Thanks, Adam. Appreciate it. All right, coming up, let's talk about the WNBA. We'll bring in a special guest to do so right here on the Los Angeles CityCast presented by BetRiver Sportsbook. Baseball is here and BetRivers has a special offer for you every Saturday throughout the season. Place a three-leg same-game parlay of at least $25 and you will earn a $10 free bet. With same-game parlays, you can combine player props and game bets to make your perfect combo. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Claim your offer on the BetRivers app or go to BetRivers.com. Welcome back into the Los Angeles CityCast presented by Bet River Sportsbook. Danielle Avari here, of course, and excited to welcome in our guest for today. Miles Ehrlich finally got him back on the pod. I know that you've been very busy. WNBA writer covers the New York Liberty. How's everything been, Miles? It's been great. Um, very busy, like you said, um, <laughs> since we last spoke. I think All-Star and just the, the, yep. com the compressed schedule is kind of catching up to me a bit. But it's really great to talk to you again, Danielle. Yeah, and did are we surprised that we saw a fourth time three point contest winning out of Allie Quigley? Oh, not at all. I um, <laughs> I was wearing an Allie Quigley outfit, and I never, I'm never starstruck. But she walked right you by me, her. and I got a picture. Yeah, I never do that ever. But I felt like if there was a time to do it, it was when she was walking by holding the trophy, and I was wearing an Allie Quigley three point invitational shirt. I felt like I couldn't pass up that opportunity. The universe was telling you in that moment. That's so cool. I forgot. I did see that that picture. So All-Star Weekend was fun for you. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's so weird because this is my first time going, but there was a disconnect with how much of a good time I had, especially with this is my third year covering. So a lot of it has been Zoom. So just meeting mm -hmm. so many of the media friends that I've made uh, over the last couple of years in person, largely for the first time, made that a mm -hmm. great experience for me. But yeah, it's a big disconnect from what lots of fans and media that were not there had to deal with, with scheduling issues and stuff. And I know it can get better, but it is getting bigger each year, which is, which mm -hmm. is a positive. There is growth, even though that comes with some hiccups. Yeah. Well, and I think, was it you that tweeted out about the skills contest and how it wasn't open to the public and how much fun it was to watch? It was. So that was the kind of, I definitely tweeted about the fact that there was no media seating for that really either. So there were mm. about 100, 120 of us like clustered in one corner. So if you look at any media <laughs> photos the video from like. that, yeah, everyone <laughs> was just kind of like reaching their camera up and hoping that they were catching a player because they couldn't look at their phone at the same time. Um, yeah. But it was a, a small venue and everything. But with all of that said, the the play on the court and at the skills competition and at the three-point contest, all of that was excellent. Um, and hopefully the presentation in future years can match that excellence. I have one last question. Was the Kelsey Plum Trophy as small as it looked on our TVs? Is it that small in person? I 
Uh, it's it's bigger than the one that she got the other <laughs> night from Kathy Engelbert. Um, yeah, but yes, Kathy it was very, thing. very small. It was very small, and uh, I was impressed with the Commissioner's Cup trophy, so maybe that's where the trophy yeah. budget went, was to that one instead. Yeah, understandable, too. We, we understand that one, but yes, to your point, Kathy Engelbert the other day giving Kelsey Plum an even smaller trophy, uh, just to just add insult to injury, I guess. But no, it was pretty funny. Uh, unfortunately... The season is coming to a close soon. I'm really sad, but the playoffs are starting on August 17th, so we have these games that are starting to really weigh in and mean a lot. Let's take a look at the Friday games first. The Aces at the Fever. We got 4 p.m. Pacific time for that one, 7 p.m. Eastern. Again, at the Fever here. Now, the Fever, I counted now, have lost 12 straight up in a row. But this is some people's favorite, not mine, but some people's favorite team to bet on because they will cover spreads, surprisingly, especially those big ones, double-digit ones. They've covered four of their last eight, and the last time they were at home and still catching 17 versus the Aces, they did cover that 17. That was kind of disrespectful, I think. What do you think we'll see this time? The, I think that, like you said, they've lost 12 in a row, and this, mm -hmm. to me, is a case where... I don't want to go in there overthinking. The Aces mm -hmm. won 90 to 77 last time, uh, mm -hmm. and that was last Thursday. But the final score looked a lot closer than the game really was. Right. Um, only Chelsea Gray crossed the 30-minute plateau for the Aces starters, and the and Vegas was ahead by 24 going into that mm -hmm. final frame. But yeah, just like the Fever are a team that will never say die. The Aces are a team that you're terrified whenever they take their starting five off the floor, and they had to bring their right. starters back in there late in that game. Um, yeah. But still, the Fever are surrendering a league worst 88.5 points a game, while the Aces mm -hmm. are the only team scoring north of 90. So they're going to put up those points. I think 90 was even a bad night for them because they had their starters out in the fourth quarter. Um, but this is, I just think, one of those matchups that you can't really overthink, especially with Vegas coming off that Commissioner's Cup win and, and looking a little bit more in sync that they had as recently as a week or two earlier. Yeah, what did you think of the defense in the Commissioner's Cup game? Because I thought the Aces cleaned that up a little bit. Yeah, I agree. I think I think that it's good to see them. They're a team that definitely rises to the occasion as mm -hmm. the difficulty level is increased. And I think that a lot of that you can attribute directly to Becky Hammond. And I remember mm -hmm. very early on in the season, there was a game where the Aces went up to Seattle and the starters all played like over 35 minutes and, and Becky talked about like we can't do that all the time but like we need to that was a must win for us and just yeah. to try to set the tone and I think the Commissioner's Cup was the same thing and we saw that last year when Seattle came out against Connecticut who didn't have the same the, the same kind of drive and Kurt Miller had said before the game the playoffs matter a lot more than the, than this exhibition which doesn't even affect the standings and mm -hmm. I think Vegas is a team that is still trying to find a way to play with a chip on their shoulder whenever they can. So mm -hmm. to do that on the biggest stage against the defending champs, I was impressed with the defense. And I think that that's definitely all coming top down from Becky Hammond and just how, yeah. how intense she was going into that game. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And it's the time of the season where everything has to be weighed out about what's the most important games. And that's why we're looking at what are the implications for these games. So to your point, I mean, we don't have a spread for this game yet, of course, recording on Thursday for this Friday game. But I have to imagine we're going to see well into double digits again. And I have no reason to believe that the Aces can't cover this. To your point, they were up by 24 going into that fourth quarter. And this is why I don't bet on the Fever full game. Now, it's going to be tempting if we get something like a 16 or 17 again. But yeah. an over maybe? An over is possible? I think it over, yeah, because the the defense could let up on right. the Aces' side. 
the the first half might be the way to go on this. Just mm. take whatever the spread is for Ace's first half. If that's just chopped in half, um, that yeah. probably feels a lot safer because they could be up by 17 going into the break and win by 12. Absolutely. That's what's tough is you don't know what you're going to get with this fever team sometimes. So uh, maybe something to live bet or a first half. I do like that as well. And speaking of playoff implications, let's talk about the other Friday game, Liberty, which is the team you cover at the Chicago Sky, 5 p.m. Pacific time, 8 p.m. Eastern. What are the Liberty playing for at this point? Where are they at with playoff contention? As of right now, they are, as of this recording on Thursday yeah. night, they're a game and a half <laughs> out of the playoffs. So it's mm -hmm. still well within their grasp. And as we talked about before we you hit record, they face yep. the Sparks twice, the Wings twice, the Dream twice, and the Mercury twice. And those are the four teams that are right ahead of them for that scrum. those final three playoff spots. Um, so they still have a lot to play for, even with the really down July that they've had. Mm -hmm. That being said, it was a huge win over the sky last time they, before the Commissioner Cup. Everything, though, had to break right for the Liberty, and that includes weather and travel delays. They caught this guy in the second the half of back-to-back, -back. yeah. And the Liberty, it, and it ended up with the Liberty taking the lead with 10 seconds left in the game. Uh, the urgency is there for New York because they are still alive in this playoff picture, but it is easy to look at that box score and just forget how poorly the Liberty did play to let mm -hmm. Chicago hang around because... A lot of players on that Sky team just looked out of it for most of the night. I think Rebecca Gardner kept them in it. Kalia Copper was really good for them, but there just was not a lot of energy. And they're and they're an older team that needed to save their legs a little bit too. Uh, they were twenty and six heading into that game, twenty one and six, something like that. Uh, mm -hmm. Second half of a back to back. Allie Quigley just did not have her legs that night, and I don't blame yeah. her. Um, yeah. And the Liberty, even with everything kind of working to their advantage, I think in the first quarter alone, Natasha Howard missed five layups. Mm -hmm. And as a team, the Liberty, Sandy Brondello said she counted 11 missed layups in the first quarter alone from the Liberty. Mm -hmm. uh, they lost the turnover battle 19 to 8. That's not going to get it done again, especially with Salute coming back now. So the line is probably going to be closer than it should be with mm. the Liberty winning last week and with the Sky losing the Commissioner's Cup game. So we don't have those lines yet, but mm -hmm. Chicago will probably get a line to their advantage lower than I think it probably should be and probably would have been because the Liberty haven't been playing great basketball for the last month or so. Sky were four and a half point favorites on that July 23rd matchup that they did end up losing by three. Uh, so do you think we'll see less than four and a half here? I spread? think maybe with the home being in Chicago, it might be around mm -hmm. the same point, but still sure. you normally get a, a couple of points as a bump um, for being mm -hmm. at home. So yeah, four and a half, anywhere in the three to five range, I think is yeah. probably where this is going to land. But I, I like Chicago there. Yeah, I do too. And it's tough because I do think that maybe New York has a little bit more to play for. I'm not sure that Chicago is as concerned with their playoff standings at this point. They're not going to try to lose the game either, but it does seem like the Liberty have a lot more on the line for them. So it makes you want to look to them. But even something to consider maybe would be an over for this game because I do think that even though these teams are on the slower side of things in pace, New York 10th in pace, Sky or 5th, that there's going to be a lot of fouling probably happening at the end here if it's even remotely close. So mm -hmm. maybe there's an opportunity for an over in here as well, even if it's just a live over. Yeah, and New York loves to make things exciting. So even if they're down by a dozen going into the fourth quarter, 
Sabrina Ionescu leads the WNBA in fourth quarter scoring and has gone on some of those binges where she'll hit four threes in a quarter. Uh, so mm-hmm. I think that it's never really out of reach for either of these teams who can both hit shots and, like you said, can get to the foul line. Uh, so I do like the over in this game for sure. And that's what it came down to the matchup before when Sloot hit a game winner over the Liberty. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think that, that, that the over is the right play. Yeah, and that experience, to your point, Courtney Vandersloot, the sky in general, and then the Liberty's turnover issues just make me really, really wary of betting on them. So we'll have to see what the line ends up being. But yeah, I would look to the Chicago sky in this one and possibly an over opportunity. Before we move on to the Saturday games, how confident are you covering this team that they could snag one of those playoff spots? Where are you at with it? I would be less confident if any of these teams that are jumbled together were playing really good basketball. Uh, the mm-hmm. Mercury are the only one of these six teams that are fighting for three spots to be over 500 in their last 10. So it mm-hmm. really just seems like everyone's Anybody's... kind of floundering. Yeah, it's really any- yeah. everyone's anyone's game. And the Liberty might only need to go five and four over these last nine w- because of these head-to-heads to steal one of those spots. So when you talk about it in that way, they're, this is the last game they're going to have on Friday against Chicago against a team with a winning record. So the schedule does break to their advantage. The they can definitely they definitely have the talent to hang with all of those teams. They haven't been playing very good basketball lately. The turnover issues that were there in May have returned again and mm-hmm. they're they're tinkering the starting five. What I did appreciate last game was Sandy Brondello shortened the rotation uh, to yeah. nine players and she'd been playing all 11. And it's been a really difficult season with injuries, so it's just constantly working players back in. But Ajalani also, I'll hopefully get an update on her tomorrow. Um, But she was supposed to be around the end of the month coming back, and we're almost at that point. So the Liberty have been more conservative with players returning from injury, but that Mm -hmm. could be a huge push when you're bringing back an all-star from last season. Uh, Mm -hmm. When you look at some teams like, like the Sparks, who lost Liz Cambage, so they're losing an all-star from last season. Uh, that that could be the thing that makes the difference. So I don't know that I'd say that I'm super confident based on how they're playing right now, but no one has is really taking it from them. So the ball sure. is still in their court. It's anyone's game, it seems. Yeah. And that includes the Liberty. I'm with you there. And I think the Liberty would be such a fun team to have in playoffs. So I'm, I'm pushing for them to make it, of course. They snuck in last year, yeah? Mm-hmm. Last minute? Yeah. yeah. They snuck so in last again. minute. And they've played, I think, better against the top teams. They they beat the Aces once. They beat the, yep. the Sky once. They beat Connecticut twice. They beat the Mystics twice. So that's yeah. a majority of their wins are coming against those teams. It, it's these teams in the bottom half of the standings that they're going to have to make up some of the some of that deficit. And uh, if they could go six and three to finish it, they're in no questions asked. But five and four might do it. Yeah. I'm Four and five you. might do it without this. Yeah, without at this going. rate. Before we move on uh, to Saturday games for real, uh, any reaction or thoughts on the Liz Cambage departure, the contract divorce, if you will? The fifth one, apparently, we've seen this season. Yeah, it's it's tough because it felt like a long time coming. and Almost from the start. In, yeah, almost from the start. And from the offseason, LA was the only mm-hmm. team interested in Liz Cambage. And I know mm-hmm. that she has been very open with with some of the struggles that she's dealt with with mental health and that was even dating back to before she went to vegas and uh then she missed the bubble season and at the time had wanted to be in la because that was the closest to home in australia 
Mm-hmm. So just with the with the compressed schedule, it seems like it was a lot for her. But the the yeah. team never really seemed to gel with her, and a lot of it is still hearsay about everything that went on with the Nigerian um, Olympics team in yep. in that scrimmage ahead of the Olympics last year. But right. knowing that both Neka and Chene are Nigerian, I wonder how that went over. And sure. Derek Fisher, there just hasn't been a lot of. I mean, Derek Fisher's the one who went out and got her too. Right, and he's gone and, now. So, and then the reporting is that she was involved in getting rid of him. So, I don't know. Oh Again, gosh. we're we're hearing all of this second and third hand, mm-hmm. and and I don't want to speak to anything that Liz is feeling because she has not said anything, and we about don't know. This. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, with whatever, I just hope that in whatever her next endeavors are, she's just all in and it just didn't always feel like that was the case this season so whether it's djing or modeling she's got so many different skill sets and opportunities so i just hope to you know see her succeeding somewhere and i'm sorry this didn't work and on court we haven't seen we are recording this before we see the sparks without her how do you think the spark i almost think that this frees up the sparks offense a little bit actually yeah, I, I was about to say the same thing. On court, I yeah. think this might be a good thing for them. And not just because of Liz, but the entire Sparks offseason changed the identity of a team that was really defensively minded last year but could not score to bring in a bunch of offensive pieces who didn't play much defense. And yeah. now we've seen a flip, and we and they're kind of in that middle ground where they don't seem to know what they want to be. Um, mm-hmm. But one player that's really... <clears throat> Sorry, one player that's really surprised me this season with just how revitalized she seemed is Chenea Gumake. And I think yeah. that this opens up some more minutes for her. And she is on the floor 10 times a game. And just that hustle is the kind of thing that a team that's on the fringe for a playoff spot really needs on the court. And that was just something that was not part of Liz's skill set. Yeah, I would agree. And I think that we saw that from, like I said, the get-go of the season, if you will. There's lots of emergencies happening around me, as you can see. Uh, but let's move on to the Saturday game. So Storm at Mystics. Are we going to see a really low total for this one? I think so. Uh, I'm not sure if these two are actually fighting for seating around where they're sitting. I believe the Mystics were sitting around 4 last I checked. 9 a.m. Pacific time for this one, 12 p.m. Eastern. And the Mystics, by the way, have covered seven of their last eight. Now, of course, I'm not counting Thursday's Wings game yet because we have not seen that happen. So We'll see how that plays out. But of the ones that we have results for, seven of the last eight games covered for the Mystics. They are my favorite team to bet on against the spread, pre-game, in-game, whatever I can get. So I'm really excited to see this. But I am a little bit nervous to see them against Seattle. Yeah, I I agree. I think part of that also comes from the fact that on Thursday night, the Mystics are playing in Dallas while yep. Seattle is playing in Connecticut. So Seattle normally when the West Coast team is going East, it's the other way around. It's it's the team mm-hmm. that resides out West going East, but it's the reverse here. The one thing that does kind of even that out a little bit is Elena Deladon not making the trip and, and hanging back mm-hmm. in, in Washington. So she will be there and she'll be fresh in a couple yeah. of days. Um, this is, like you said, it's a potential 4-5 matchup in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. As of tonight, Seattle's... 18 and 10 in fourth place and the mystics are 17 and 11 in fifth place so they are just a game separates them neck and neck and yeah these teams are incredibly closely matched this aside from the liberty games that i'm covering this weekend is the matchup that i'm most excited to see what happens (laughs) um on offense they're right next to each other seattle is eighth in points per game washington is ninth as for 
defensively opposing points per game, they're close there too. The Mystics lead the league. They surrender just 75 points a night, while the Storm are second at 76.3. So they are really closely bunched. They It's a noon start, which again, with the Mystics coming from Central Time and then working back, mm-hmm. uh, these early starts are another reason why I also like the under here. Uh, yep. But the Storm did win 85-71 to 71 back on June 23rd, the one time these teams have met this season. Mm-hmm. And in that game, the Storm won all four quarters. It was pretty consistent throughout. And Jewel mm-hmm. Lloyd, uh, Brianna Stewart, and Ezie Magbor combined for 61, just the three of them, while the Mystics' backcourt had just 14 points on 22 shots. I think Ariel Atkins was 5 of 18 in that game or something like that. And if the Mystics are going to win, they're going to need better production from that Atkins cloud backcourt. It's kind of as they go, that's how the team goes. Yes, Elena mm-hmm. is a big piece, but Elena and Stewie could cancel each other out, and then you're going to have to look to the secondary pieces. Yeah, so, no, I yeah, it's going to be a tight either. one. It's going to be a tight one. I, and uh, I wonder, I, to your point, how low this total is actually going to be, if it's almost going to get too low and we're going to have to yeah. look at an over. Like if we're seeing like a 156... Would we yeah, see something that low? You know, this this might be one of those cases that you know it's going to get lower as soon as uh, as soon as people start putting money down. So, yep. If you don't like whatever is at at the first line, then just, just wait. wait, and then you might want to grab an over once it goes down to if it's one fifty six, it might hit one fifty two by the time tip off hits. Um, uh. But yeah, even as the road team. I still lean Seattle, even though you're right that the Mystics have been covering so much lately. Just because yeah. in their last 10, Seattle has posted a league best plus 8.6, plus minus. And wow. both of these teams like to shoot from deep. And I'll lean towards Seattle there because they're already on the East Coast. And that's a very weird reason to be a tiebreaker. <laughs> but these teams are so closely matched. And it's not just the guards that can shoot. So it's not just like that Atkins cloud backcourt is going to be dealing with shooters, but it's also going to be uh, Tina Charles can now step out and hit threes and Brianna Stewart can hit threes. So there are more pieces. It's not just Jewel Lloyd and Sue Bird. Yeah, absolutely. And and at the time of recording, obviously with Seattle playing the Connecticut Sun and pretty tight game. So we'll see how it plays out for them. They were two and a half point dogs, I believe, maybe got up to three. But Seattle's only covered four of their last eight before Thursday night. And I'm looking at the covers. It's against the Fever, the Sparks, the Fever, and the Dream. You're not covering against the Mercury. You didn't cover against the Sky. You didn't cover against the Wings. So, <laughs> and that was, that was a bigger spread. But Seattle makes me a little bit more nervous, ATS. But at this time in the season, I do feel like they're starting to kick into that second gear, at least. So it does make me more nervous to see the Mystics against a solid team like Seattle. It's the four-five matchup too, which yeah, is exactly. so. It's it's going to be two super veteran teams that are are mm-hmm. fighting and clawing, and then they play each other the next day again. So. <laughs> Everything that we say might be right, but it could be a day off after they're, they've yep. both seen each other because they are such veteran teams that have played each other yep. so much. Um, but it's great one to watch, scary one matchup. to bet on. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> totally agree. I think that's both of these Friday games are pretty easy for me. And then both the Saturday games are two teams that are very closely matched in the standings and then in yep. what they like to do. So this is probably the scariest one. Just like I said, it's the game that excites me the most, that means that it's probably the game that I should stay away from if I'm actually betting. 
Yeah, I totally get it. And this is not even one I always say, oh, I'll get in live on this one. I don't even know. I don't, I, if this, if the storm went up early, I don't know that I'd feel comfortable going in on the mystics and vice versa. So it's going to be, a, it's going to be an interesting one, but we'll have to see what the total ends up at because that may be where there's an opportunity. If it gets too low, you might look to an over. And obviously if it comes out pretty high, then you could possibly get a steal on an under at least if you get that early that closing line value let's look at the last saturday game wings at dream 4 30 p.m pacific time 7 30 eastern you said these two teams are similar in the way that they're uh set up going into this game mm -hmm. well just like seattle and washington were four and five in the standings dallas and atlanta are similarly bunched below them they're currently filling out two of those th final three postseason spots that could change by tomorrow. That could change by mm -hmm. the next day. That could change by the day after that. That's just <laughs> That's kind how of close how it everything is. is bunched. Uh, Can I but, say I've not been a believer in the dream? And that sounds like a horrific thing to say, but I've just not. I've not believed in the dream this season. Yeah, and the the well, as of now, the first half of Thursday's game has not inspired <laughs> yes. any confidence that way against the Lynx. Well, they are missing a lot of players too, which is always the question with the dream at this point: is who yeah. is actually going to be in? Atlanta has come out on top in both of the matchups so far. The opening night win was a shocker That's then, true. which was a 66-59 mm -hmm. win. And it's even more shocking Brutal. now because holding Dallas to 59 is a big deal. <laughs> the Wings average 85 a night, which is fourth in the W. Uh, wow. But then last month, the 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 Dream won 80-75. to So Atlanta still plays really, really well against teams that are below 500 and not well at all against teams that are above. So mm -hmm. they are facing a team below and their offense is a bit more dynamic now. Tiffany Hayes just has some games where she just puts the team on her back. Although yeah. at least two to three times a night, I'm terrified that she's hurt something because she's down for a minute or two. Um, but I also just like the dream at home. I just don't know where this line is sure. going to fall. I just yeah. really don't and know. They, yeah, and we forget they beat be the Aces like a couple games ago. They beat the mm -hmm. Aces 92 to 76, and that was on the road. Uh, so that's why this the, the Dream basically are too wishy-washy for me. I don't know what team I'm getting on any given night, so it's hard for me to back them because I don't know what I'm getting. So really, really tough. And the Wings, I would say, are similar in that, but I almost yeah. trust this Wings team a little bit more. But to your point, the Dream have won the last two meetings. Erica Do you think this Wheeler. is essentially going to be a coin flip? Close to it, I think that yeah. Erica Wheeler could be the X Factor. Their defense yeah. got a lot better when she got back, uh, mm -hmm. and their offense had taken off when she wasn't on the court. But Dallas is a team that thrives offensively and not so much on yes. the other end. So mm -hmm. if they try to give her some minutes, maybe her and Aerie are splitting minutes trying to slow down Arike, mm -hmm. that that could we're still not seeing i'm i'm assuming satu still won't play because i don't believe she was on thursday night right, um, yeah so i think that they're just they're not a very dynamic team they have been playing better inside lately which mm -hmm. is where they can maybe make atlanta pay but just because they're doing it well doesn't mean that this is a team that will consistently do it and i think that's where we talk about we don't know what we're going to get from either of them on yeah. a given night and the dream offense worries me a lot because I was saying we could possibly look at an over for this young, fun, fast teams in the wings and the dream. But well, as we said, we're, we're in the third quarter here with Lynx and dream and the dream would put up 43 points only. And it was a rough first half for them. Um, if anything, dream team total under might be something worth looking at for this. If the offense is going to continue this way, but to your point, we have to know who's going to be in for them. Yeah. I'm, I'm just pulling up 
Ryan Howard over the last month or so has has also mm-hmm. slowed down. Um, yeah. Even I th- I believe she's just had one or two games where she's hit more than half her shots. But even the game where she had 23 points back against Seattle on July 24th, she had 23 points on nine of 30 shooting. So uh, teams have started to slow her down, and that could just also just be a rookie wall and not yeah. having too many scoring options. So, yeah. yeah, shot selection is is going to be big. A lot of the early Tanisha Wright Coach of the Year talk was also just based on the fact that Ryan Howard was doing stuff from a number one pick that we haven't seen back to maybe Candace Parker, just in terms of how quickly from day one she came onto the scene and was an impact player. Um, but yeah, it makes sense that she's come down to earth because her usage rate has been incredible this season, uh, but also potentially unsustainable for a player that came over. You know, you start training camp two weeks after the turn, like after she left the tournament, basically. Right. So it's just yeah. such a fast turnaround. This is the game I would I would like to bet on the least, <laughs> to be honest. Wings and Dream. Uh, the the Wings have had four straight overs. I think this ends here. The two times they played the Dream, they went under. So I think mm-hmm. that we're going to see an under here as well. Yeah, I, I think that I feel more comfortable with that. And it could just be a case of Atlanta having the individual one-to-one matchups. And mm-hmm. I think that's why I lean their their way because I have more confidence I think in their defense showing up than I do in the wings offense just based on what we've seen when these two teams go head to head absolutely I'm with you I think that this is the one time maybe I would back the dream here uh but thank you so much Miles for making the time I know you have a busy weekend to get to so Miles Ehrlich you can follow him on Twitter it's his name it's easy to find and we thank you so much thanks Danielle great talking to you All right. Thank you for listening to the Los Angeles CityCast. Remember, new shows Monday, Wednesday, Friday, except we're going to have a special Sunday edition next week instead of Monday uh, because we're going to talk about the Sunday WNBA games. We'll get you all set for those as well with Karina Mustafa. Very excited to have on. Haven't had her on the pod yet. So join us for that. Come on back for more LA action on the Los Angeles CityCast presented by Bet River Sports.